And on the Michael Medved show, uh, there's a headline in NBC News that says a lot. Uh, the headline says Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, the rise of Vivek Ramaswamy, a long shot candidate, ascends in the GOP primary. Uh, all of a sudden, there is what his campaign calls a Ramaswamy tsunami. Uh, he's running third in some of the national polls, third right after uh, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, and catching up on the tales of uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, very pleased to meet you on uh, the show. Uh, my big question is, what do you think is behind this surge in your campaign right now? Well, it's good to meet you, Michael. I think the thing that's behind the surge in our campaign is that I'm willing to speak the truth without apology and without constraint. I think the other candidates have an advantage that I don't have, which is large super PACs of large pre-existing mega donors in the Republican Party propping them up. But that comes with constraints. It ties your hands as to what you can and cannot say on certain issues. By contrast, I'm independent and unconstrained in what I'm able to say on issues ranging from climate change to electric vehicles to bank bailouts to even our policy in Ukraine. I think I've been able to defect from some of the orthodoxies that restrain what the other candidates have to say. The other thing is, I think, Michael, we're in a moment where the Republican Party for a long time has been running from something. Wokeism, gender ideology, a flailing economy, the radical left. And I share those convictions. But I'm the only person in this race who's actually leading us to something, to our vision of what it actually means to be an American. That's how I think we actually solve the problems in our country is to fill a moral vacuum of purpose and meaning with a vision of our own, not just tearing down the other side. And I'm finding that that's resonating across the country. Let me ask you about two issues uh, that uh, have uh, been almost untouchable for uh, a lot of the other Republican candidates and your response to those issues. The first one has to do with entitlements and the whole idea of the tremendous national debt and the uh, swelling federal deficit, trillions of dollars. Uh, first, what do we do about Medicare and Social Security? that are basically responsible for this orgy of spending we have right now. And then the second issue has to do with the possibility of war with China, which people are deeply worried about. Maybe you want to start with the issue on war and peace. Uh, what do we do to prepare uh, to, to use the Reagan approach of peace through strength to uh, avoid a confrontation with China? Yeah, so look, I think it's the right way to phrase it. I think about this as in the lens of a Cold War realist. Unfortunately, there aren't many of those around today, the George Kennans, the Schultzes, the James Bakers. But I'm reviving that school of thought where I want to achieve peace. I want to avoid war. Here's how we do it. First, I would end the war in Ukraine, actually. And that relates to China. I'll tell you how. The deal that I would do to end the war in Ukraine would be one lines of control, would be one that commits that NATO will not admit Ukraine. Those are big concessions to Putin. But I would require something even bigger of Putin in return, 
which is that he exit his military alliance with China. That's actually the dirty little secret that almost nobody in either party talks about. The Russia-China military alliance is the single greatest threat that we face from a military perspective today. Russia has the largest nuclear stockpile, hypersonic missile capabilities. China has a navy with more ships in the, in the South China Sea and more ships, period, than the U.S. Navy. What we can have an opportunity to do is by pulling Russia out of China's camp, that forces Xi Jinping to think twice before he actually goes after Taiwan. That is how we deter conflict, deter a Chinese invasion, while avoiding war over it. And I do think Taiwan is a higher priority for the U.S. than Ukraine, because that's where the global semiconductor supply chain begins. And so I'm just scratching the surface there, but it gives you a sense of how I think. We Again, want, what about what about the issue of in, in, what about the issue of entitlements and overspending and the national debt? Well, we, no doubt we have an overspending problem in this country, but I think the right next step is actually to restore GDP growth, economic growth in this country. Right now, we're slated to grow at less than one percent GDP growth. For most of our national history, we've grown at over four plus percent GDP growth. I'd say drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear, put people back to work by no longer paying them to stay at home, reform the Fed, shut down the administrative state that's the source of many unlawful regulations on businesses. That will put us back to four plus percent GDP growth. And then I think we build the trust base in this country to say that, okay, then we can have a conversation about actually rationalizing spending. That's, I think, the missing link right now is we're having that discussion about spending cuts from a position of weakness. We need to have that discussion from a position of economic strength. And to directly answer your question on Medicare, I think the right answer is not to pursue the road of cuts to seniors and what they benefit from now. To the contrary, we need more people benefiting from a Medicare Advantage-style model. Only a third, less than a third of people on Medicare or Medicare-eligible people are on Medicare Advantage. Turns out we spend less, the taxpayers spend less money, but people actually also get better care because instead we save money by avoiding the bureaucracy of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So that is really where I think a lot of the root cause of our problems is, is in the federal bureaucracy. And I've said that I will be the president who has the best understanding of how to actually shut it down. That's how we you've, uh, you, you've gone on record for shutting down the education department. Is there another federal program, major federal program, other than the Department of Education that you would just eliminate? I have a growing list of government agencies <laughs> that we will eliminate on strong legal authority. The U.S. Department of Education, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the IRS, the ATF, the FBI, the CDC. <clears throat> These are all agencies that I think have outlived their purpose if they ever had one. If you if you eliminate the IRS, would you still collect income taxes? Yes, we would fold a subset of those employees into the U.S. Department of Treasury. I've laid out detailed plans for each of these. Even with the FBI, there's 15,000 people who still do useful work on the front lines as agents. But we don't need the separate bureaucracy with the 35,000 of them performing these back office functions that result in corruption. So I would move those 15,000 to the U.S. Marshals or to the Drug Enforcement Agency or to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network underneath the Treasury. And so, believe me, these aren't slogans to me. These are defined plans that we will get in there and execute on. But this is how we restore accountability and true integrity 
back to a federal government that is corrupt, bloated, and badly broken by that fourth branch, the administrative state. Uh, Dr. Ramaswamy, can uh, you uh, spare another few minutes to pursue some of these leads? Uh, sure. Because I, I would love to minutes. continue the conversation. Uh, we're speaking sure. with Vivek Ramaswamy, who is uh, all of a sudden one of the big three in terms of polling uh, for the Republican nomination for President of the United States. And he has been uh, more specific with what uh, some people view as a radical platform. So what would the Ramaswamy administration look like that would be different from the Trump administration? Because, uh, again, President Trump, the prohibitive front-runner, uh, particularly in Iowa and New Hampshire, which are going to be crucial. We'll continue the conversation for a few minutes more uh, with the man of the hour, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, a uh, very successful entrepreneur, uh, graduate of Yale Law School and Harvard College, and uh, a um, uh, an outsider if there certainly is one running for president of the United States. We'll be right back. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. It's an honor to talk to you because I think you got the best talk show in the, in the United States. Thank um, you. I agree. This is The Michael Medved Show. A few minutes more with Vivek Ramaswamy, who uh, is a candidate for president of the United States. He's actually one of the big three candidates for president right now, uh, together with Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, and uh, the former president, Donald J. Trump. I just asked you right before the break, uh, if, if you don't mind, I'll call you Vivek, um, I just asked you about your differences from President Trump. If you were elected president, uh, what would be different about your priorities in the White House from what uh, President Trump has indicated would be his priorities? I think my priorities are similar, but my effectiveness in going even is what distinguishes me. The deep state was something Trump talked a lot about. He put the likes of Betsy DeVos on top of the U.S. Department of Education. I've said that these agencies that should not exist, I will shut them down. He built a wall on the southern border. I think that was a step in the right direction. There are now Mexican drug cartel-financed tunnels running underneath that wall. What I've said I would do is use the military to secure our own southern border and seal that Swiss cheese of a southern border that we have. You know, Trump didn't touch issues like affirmative action that was created by executive order by Lyndon Johnson. I said I would take a line and cross that through. So in many ways, I am going far further with the America First agenda than Trump did. But I think I'm also going to be able to unite the country in the process. And here's why. For whatever reason, Trump has, a, has an effect on about 30 percent of the people in this country when he's in the White House that causes them to become literally psychiatrically ill in some ways, disagreeing with things just because he said them. For whatever reason, I'm not having that effect on people. And I think if we go further, if we're doing it based on moral foundations and first principles, and I do think that setting that national character, that character of leadership, is half the job of the U.S. president that's perhaps even more important than just the individual policy planks. And so that gives you a sense for 
where I'm similar, but also where I'm a little different. Do you think uh, looking at uh, President Trump as one of the other choices that people have on on their ballots with the primaries and the caucuses coming up, uh, do you think that uh, he should work to try to settle some of the charges against him? Uh, or do you believe that uh, the potential of having uh, four different sets of um, major indictments uh, really should not be a factor in this race? I think the government should drop the charges against him is the answer to that question. And so I just think it's a dangerous precedent in this country for the party in power to use police force to arrest its political opponents. And I say this as somebody who is polling a third and rising rapidly. It would be easier for me. Trump, we're not in this race. But the reality is that I don't want to win this election by the federal police state eliminating my competition. I want to win it by convincing the voters of this country that I'm the best choice for them to take this country forward. That's how we do things in the United States of America. At least it should be. And I think that we set an awful precedent if these prosecutors any way in impeding his ability to compete in this election. Uh, do you um, um, have any consideration uh, about who your potential vice presidential running mate would be? And would you consider be joining uh, either DeSantis or Trump or another nominee as the vice presidential candidate? No, I'm running to be the president, and I'm running to lead a national revival as Reagan did in 1980. I am giving thought to the kinds of people who would not only fill the vice president slot for me, but key cabinet positions, even positions beyond the cabinet, like the Office of Personnel Management or the Office of Management and Budget. These are critical positions in the federal government. And I've given a lot of thought to the types of people we're going to want. Here's a characteristic they're going to all share in common. They're going to be equally skeptical of the federal bureaucracy as I am. They're going to be equally willing to see through my anti-bureaucracy vision of hiring over 75% of the federal employee headcount, of actually shutting down agencies that shouldn't exist, of standing for the Constitution. In the vice president role, all sets to mind, especially somebody who has knowledge in areas of foreign policy that predate my own. My background's in business. I'm a successful businessman. I've built multi-billion dollar businesses. I know how to people, and I have a strong vision for what I want to see out of our foreign policy. But I'm also going to rely on people who bring knowledge bases that I don't have. That's part of how we build an effective top team in leading this federal federal bureaucratic apparatus that we're going to mostly shut down. And speaking of foreign policy, right now there is a uh, unprecedented crisis in in Israel with a national division regarding the role of the Supreme Court. Uh, President Biden has uh, been criticized, um, it seems to me, appropriately for intrusion in uh, Israeli domestic affairs. Uh, What would be your change in focus concerning the Middle East and the issues there? Well, look, I don't think it's the U.S. president's job to meddle in what is a complex domestic issue about separation of powers domestically in Israel. And to the contrary, I think that the Israeli people should self-determine through their process, their 
ordained process of how they settle their domestic differences, just like we wouldn't want other countries meddling in our domestic affairs either. And if you're President Biden, I hate to break the news, but you have bigger problems to worry about in your own country, including about problems relating to executive overreach through the executive powers and the separation of powers in this country that I think deserve greater attention than meddling in somebody else's foreign affairs. I do think that when it comes to the Middle East, I mean, look, as it relates to Israel policy, Trump took a great step forward with the Abraham Accords. I would take that even further to the next level. Abraham Accords 2.0, bring Saudi Arabia in, bring Oman in, bring Qatar, bring even Indonesia in. Abandon this historical constraint that somehow we have to settle the Palestine issue before we address peace in the Middle East and prosperity in the Middle East more broadly. And I think Israel being linked in with its partners in a productive and constructive way in the Middle East actually avoids the need for continued and perpetual U.S. engagement, which I think is good for Israel and good for the United States and good for prosperity and peace in the Middle East. Speaking of prosperity and peace, your parents immigrated to this country and uh, your family has has been a great benefit to this country. If you look at the jobs you've created and um, basically your impact economically and uh, otherwise civically, uh, should we make it easier for people to immigrate legally to the United States, the right people who can contribute to our country? The right people, absolutely yes. The people who can actually help us with a skills shortage that we have in this country, and also people who have, and I'm glad you mentioned it, civic commitments to this country. But if you check both of those boxes, meet both of those criteria, have actual skill sets and an ability to make real economic contributions to this country and actual civic commitments to this country, that you believe in the ideals that this nation was founded on, that you've taken the time to learn about them and pass them on to your children in this country, then absolutely that form of merit-based immigration I unapologetically embrace. I'm a hardliner when it comes to putting an end to illegal migration across our southern border, along with the drugs and the other problems that come with it. But when it comes to legal immigration, I think it's a mistake for Republicans to shy away and say we want arbitrary caps. To the contrary, merit-based immigration, if executed correctly, and it will be in my administration, that's going to be a boon for this country and for economic growth and also for a revival of our national spirit. Speaking of revival, if this economy turns around, as increasing numbers of people expect it will, how do you beat Joe Biden if you're the nominee? Well, I think the economy is actually struggling in ways that the numbers don't tell the story on. It's true the unemployment rate's actually relatively low right now, 3-point-something percent, and he touts that number. The real problem is that we have too many jobs in this country that are actually vacant We have way more jobs than we do have human beings in this country. The top obstacle for any business to grow today is finding qualified employees to fill those vacancies, which is why GDP growth, economic growth itself, is actually at a relative low. Less than 1.5% annualized is what we're tracking for right now. We've grown at over 4-plus percent GDP growth for most of our national history. And so I don't think that using yesterday's kinds of figures relating to Strictly just looking at unemployment as a figure, when a lot of people have exited the workforce that don't count in those unemployment numbers, and that's part of the reality for why many businesses are unable to fill their vacant positions, 
the economy absolutely is a problem, and I do not believe it is turning around. I think that it's a false projection of numbers that the Biden administration is using as an optical illusion. Vivek Ramaswamy. You can reach him and get more information at Vivek, that's V-I-V-E-K, 2024.com.